0: Hello, I'm Yolanda Brown, and welcome to LPO Offstage. This is the podcast where we take you behind the scenes with the London Philharmonic Orchestra and explore the world of classical music. Today, we're exploring a work that the LPO have performed and recorded lots of times Stravinsky's Firebird. I'm joined by trumpeter Anne McEnany and cellist Francis Bucknell. Welcome back, Anne and Francis. It's great to have you here.
1: Thank you. Lovely to
2: be Hi. here.
0: Hi, Hi. thank you. (laughs) Well, The Firebird is such a popular work and there's hundreds of recordings. Why do you think it's so popular, Anne?
1: Oh, I mean, if anyone has heard it, they'll understand why. It's just simply tremendous music. It paints all kinds of musical colours and scenarios that you can just conjure up in your head exactly where you are. Exactly that. Now
0: you describe it so well. And Francis. Is this true? Is this something that everybody gravitates
2: towards? Yes, it's got some wonderfully memorable melodies and I think that's part of the attraction.
0: And and tapping into those memories, do you remember the first time you played it, Anne? And you've recorded it with, with the LPO. Do you remember that recording experience as well? I
1: don't actually recall the first time I played it, I remember the first time I heard it, it was at school and my music teacher was thrilled to bits to introduce me to this music. The recordings, funnily enough, you you know, you said we've played it lots of times, but invariably it's one of the suites that we play uh, rather than the full ballet. Uh I went along many years ago, many, many years ago now to see the Beja uh, Ballet when they were in London, um, probably about Somewhere in the region of 1980, I would imagine, maybe 81. And, and they they did a Stravinsky triple bill. And it was just incredible to see all these ballets, particularly actually, I must say, the rite of spring. I oh, yeah. <laughs> With all this that that's interesting sort of body movements, which you know were shocking whenever it was first performed, but quite shocking to me, um, because I'd never seen ballet performed like that before. The recording we did with Vladimir Urosky was actually at one of our concerts. And on that occasion, we had spent a long time playing Stravinsky's music. We had a season of, of lots of Stravinsky's music going right through his development as a composer, changes of style, etc. But we did get to play the full ballet on that occasion, which... Is quite something. It's a bigger orchestra, for example. There's three hostage trumpets, yes, uh, which herald the princesses to come back into Katchai's castle, and that I, I love that bit because we don't normally get that. It's a bit of excitement in the section, <laughs> yeah, and there's extra <laughs> people around to go for a drink with afterwards. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's true. One thing I would say, I would say about doing the entire ballet, I find it far more satisfactory that final coda the final number which is the melody that everybody will go home singing the preparation for that is absolutely vital because you've got this this release this feeling of arrival
0: well it's interesting you say that francis because you know i wanted to delve a bit into the story and what is the story of the ballet and and earlier you said sometimes you'll play sweets from it so let's tell me about the story francis can you set the scene for us
2: well, I have done a bit of homework to <laughs> to remind myself. I've got images of of Kachai, the the evil Kachai with the incredibly long fingernails and how that relates to the story. But yes, yeah, the prince needs to rescue these beautiful princesses and yeah, it starts doesn't it start the firebird gives him a feather. Yes. When he spares the firebird's life when he's hunting in the forest and he uses his feather to summon the firebird and so on and so forth
1: very good and would you would you embellish any further I could tell you a bit about another project which we did which is called Before the Firebird if that's any help I was there too were you really yeah. <laughs> I, was, we I was on that you yeah. were <laughs> absolutely were Yeah, we did. We did it quite a few times. It's called Before the Firebird. And it it was originally six of us in a chamber group with a narrator stroke singer who was absolutely extraordinary. She was, she was absolutely brilliant. And that was setting the scene whereby we discover about Kachkai and about, in this case, they were called sisters. It was aimed at primary school children and, and we called them the 13 sisters. And in this, we had the most extraordinary experience of not just playing, but we also had to act, didn't we, Ramses? Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> What did you have to do? Well, we oh, well there were bits where we had to stand up and be the villagers. Um, and then at one point when Kachkai comes and he wants these sisters and, and we're all chatting and saying, no, 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 this is shocking. There must, must be something else we can do. And we offer them 13 precious objects instead. And we all have to take it in turns. While playing the music, we've got occasional bars rest. We have to stand up and, and make announcements. Like my first one was... A freshly baked loaf from the bakers. He had lines and everything. Oh, my God. My piece de resistance, I was very pleased with this, considering my Northern Irish accent, I had to say, (laughs) and a prize-winning peg. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Choice of (laughs) accents (laughs) were entirely my own. (laughs) What did you have to say, Francis? I can't remember what I said now. (laughs) What was it? I don't know. I, don't, I remember my lines. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did you enjoy it? I mean, this is something that I always love to, to explore. It's, it's more than the music. You're, you're in the performance, you're acting, you've got lines, all the rest. Did you enjoy it or were you thinking, I'm a musician, I want to play the music? Francis?
2: Yes, yes. Just to involve the kids in something is, is really special.
0: Absolutely. Well, when I heard that we were going to be talking about the Firebird, I was so excited that you both were joining me because, of course, the amazing work that the LPO does in education—playing, you know, at your Bright Spark School concerts, uh, fun harmonics family concerts as well. Why do you think that this piece, Anne, works so well in those in those contexts?
1: Um, I think actually all kinds of ballet music works really well because you get the story unfolding through the different instrumentations and the melodies that come back and the references when someone has a motif, which you keep hearing, you think, oh, he's back in the room. So it's easy, I think, to tell the story with that. I mean, we did actually do also this um, before the Firebird in a larger format with the entire orchestra. And Paul Risman, the Composer actually narrated it and we had a singer as well. And that that was fantastic because the festival hall was filled with, with kids and, you know, that was really good. But actually I neglected to say earlier that the important thing about Before the Firebird was that it sets up the story so that we understand what's happening when suddenly, when we get to the Firebird, we're introduced into Kachkai's garden, the Enchanted Garden. It explains how his soul was captured in the egg, which of course is a feature in, in the Firebird. That oh, he's his yes. soul is in the egg, and yes. it came about because he called him Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga, my sister, my friend, and he and she captures his soul in this egg to protect him. Right, and and before the Firebird ends with him being trapped in this egg. And everybody's a bit concerned because it sounds like he's won. But, of course, at the end of The Firebird, we know he hasn't. He hasn't. That Now, this piece then was composed
0: by somebody else, obviously with the, the story of Stravinsky in mind. What do you think Stravinsky would have made of it, Francis?
2: Gosh. Well, I would like to think that it it, it was expanding on what he created to make it more accessible and, and more relevant to this day and age. mm Times have changed. The images that kids will see in today's media, it wasn't, of course, presented to kids in those days. Yeah. It was for an adult audience.
0: And actually, a lot of Stravinsky's works, they lend themselves well to education.
1: Why do you think this is, Anne? Um, Like I mentioned earlier, that... Particularly with with the ballet music. I mean, he he writes such colorful music. You can imagine what, what is happening. We've also used it in a, in a different context where we take music and usually our, one of our recordings, and of course we have recorded this, with Vladimir Jurofsky to OrClab. And OrClab is work that we do with disabled adults. And we have a, a lot of gadgets, I suppose you would call them, and tech, which is brought by Drake Music, who we, we partner with on these occasions. And we did a session on, on the Firebird with Oak Lab and we had props. We even had a big orange feather, which became a conductor's baton and people would conduct with this feather. We recreated the Enchanted Garden using a microphone and with distorted voices. Oh. And it, yeah, it was fantastic. And it really appeals to everyone. We also used it um, with younger um, kids who have got maybe learning disabilities. And we kind of rewrote the story with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very funny. I think at one point we ended up in a supermarket buying Goods, which was slightly bits on the context. But we used the music, and actually, they were extraordinary because we even dealt with the last bit, which is in what I suppose for Western musicians is very strange and seven, four. So that's seven beats to each bar. Um, we, we feel much more safe in the territories of two, three, and four. Once we start getting into uneven numbers, it, it does throw us. But the kids, because we had all these words and things, we made up our own words and, and it made it easy for them to sing. And, and to make this music in seven beats in a bar. That's amazing. You know, I can just see you know how, how passionate and bright your, your eyes
0: get when you're speaking about education. And this is the whole point, isn't it? That music that was written hundreds of years ago is still relevant now and can be moulded and built and sort of reshaped into the modern world. It really is really exciting. It's brilliant. Well, going back to the traditional sense then of this piece, How does Stravinsky write for your instrument, Francis, for the cello?
2: Well, of course, it starts incredibly quietly and very dark, low down. In 1910, of course, this was revolutionary. And he uses the cello, the the special technique where you, you, you place the bow very close to the bridge so you don't get the normal contact of the hair with the string. It becomes a very glassy sound and the note... Actually, changes is 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 you don't hear the the real note anymore.
1: It's kind of got a mystery about it, hasn't it?
0: And it kind of leads me to something I was going to ask you later, but I'll ask it now because, uh-huh. you know, building on that technique, you know the sound that you're meant to make. Are you thinking about the storyline then when you're playing or are you thinking of it as a piece of music with the instructions up on, on the sheet there?
2: Um, you can do, do it both ways. If you have the luxury of the visual images of the ballet, that that's a bonus. It but, helps, um, you think? It helps, but, but there is much of the music we do play, it May not be a visual image that you're thinking of. It may be an emotional image, it may be something that relates to you, um, a feeling, a smell.
0: Wow, It's powerful. That's brilliant. That's really I love how you summed that up. Uh, and Ed, how does Stravinsky write for your instrument for the trumpet?
1: Oh, I mean, our parts are fantastic. He takes us through everything we could possibly do, so we will have slow melodies to play, lots of articulations. There's lots of rhythm in the Firebird for obvious reasons. It gets very exciting at points. And, and you know, brass players are very good at providing that kind of excitement with, with really fast articulations. Um, he also uses mutes very well with, with the horns and actually with the trumpets, trombones, who have those glissandi mm. um which are really affected? Really, I love that sound. <laughs> I think the trombones do also. But yeah, we have such a lot to do. And of course, this triumphant ending is the glory of the brass sound with this mm. chorale and yes. the chromatic finish. So, yeah, I mean, he writes extremely well. He also, because we have so many versions of this, the full ballet, like I said, was including three extra players. Uh, Generally, the suites are just two trumpets. Mm -hmm. And also he had, when there were three trumpets, uh, one of the suites had three trumpets, and he had a different pitch of trumpet. So he obviously had a different sound in his mind. Uh, So he has trumpets in A, which have a darker sound. Obviously, the, the bigger the trumpet, the darker The the tone that you get from it. Subsequently, he he wrote for C trumpets. So we had the C trumpet signed, which is slightly brighter. Right. So is he using the A trumpet in this? Uh, Well, we just transpose it. Right. (laughs) Because we play in the LPO, we play primarily on B flat trumpet. Yes. So you transpose either down a semitone or upper tone for this particular ballet. So when you see the part written in C and you see the part written in A, it's so totally different. And by and large, the, the suite that we play is the 1919 version. And so you get used to seeing that. You think, oh, we've got the firebird coming up, so I know this. And then you turn up and it's not that version. And you think, ooh, it just looks so wrong. <laughs> it looks very, very strange. And it's almost like relearning it. And of course, I mean, he used different movements anyway in the different suites. So let me get a little bit nerdy here.
0: You, you transpose as you go. Yes, so it's not written in
1: in your for the B flat trumpet, but the part is the same, is it not? uh it's slightly different. It changes a little bit because he put in different numbers as well right. um but yeah, if you're going to say how, how does it throw you if the part is the same um I, I suppose it, it, it's not like it being in a different language, but visually it's different. You know, the the notes are in the wrong place and you have to do something intellectually different instead. Wow. Like I said, instead of transposing up one tone, so playing each note that you see up a step, you have to, when it's in A, read it down a half step. And why can't they just give it to you in B-flat? Because it wasn't written in B-flat. <laughs> I mean, sometimes <laughs> you will, and it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that annoys us, actually. We are used to transposing... Because we have trumpet parts in A, B natural, C, D, E flat, E, and F. Wow. And you can probably imagine as we're pitched in B flat that trumpet in E is, is not our favorite. No, it's an augmented <laughs> fourth. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I'm a tenor, so I'm B flat. I ha- yeah, E. And if anyone calls E, I go into a cold sweat. <laughs> but I do find it fascinating that you still have to transpose as you go. It can't just be transposed and given to you. Yeah, we you don't want it like that. that.
1: I mean, it looks wrong. We don't want will, it? it. You know, no, it just right. it doesn't look right to us. Right. Yeah, we've we spent really years training to transpose, you know, we don't want to waste that talent.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we've done a whole episode of LPO stage on the triangle. I think we need to do one on transposition because I'm still, <laughs> I've got so many questions. But That's not why we're here today. Right, back to Sorry, I, 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 thinking, I went off on a no, tangent. don't you dare apologise. <laughs> this is how these episodes get made. It's brilliant. So, yeah, we'll circle back to transposition in a moment. Uh, but tell me about the recording process. So uh, you, you've referred a couple of times, Anne, to uh, Vladimir, Mir recording that was in uh, 2018 and that was a live performance so you're not thinking about the recording are you while you're playing
1: yes <laughs> it's very difficult not to think about a recording <laughs> when there's a great big microphone in front of you but then you've also got a great big audience in front <laughs> yeah, of you yeah but that's you. different really no, I mean I think the in thing about sense? well the thing about live music if you have an audience there anything can go wrong and and, and they will accept it it's part of the joy of live music you know that you know, anything can happen. Whereas with recordings, I mean, I suppose for so many years that they were just so almost clinical because you're in a recording studio and if something happens, you can stop and go over it again and build the jigsaw, you know. Whereas when it's a concert, everything you want, you want to give of your best. And if there's a record of it, you know, then then it, you think you'll listen back and go, oh, there's that bit again. Or, you you, you know, if you're listening to it, you know it's coming up. Um, perhaps other people just wouldn't simply wouldn't notice. But it, it just feels like a bit of pressure. But having said that, I mean, there's so many exciting live performances and actually it's really great to hear them because you've captured that wonderful experience.
2: Mm, yeah. Annie, I don't know if it's the same for you, but going back and listening to... Some great performances that we were lucky enough to have had recorded at the same time. Do you still find them as exciting as in the moment you did? You, we performed them.
1: I find them exciting, not the same way. I mean, I, I think when when you're in the, in the middle of a performance, that the whole feeling with your colleagues around you. I don't know about you, but quite often I look at Paul Benison and say, "Oh." Got the goose pimples again, you know, um, (laughs) because these glorious moments, I mean, you cannot create that kind of emotion if you're just sitting in your front room, although it can come back, Mm. but not to to the same degree. Just being in the moment is, yeah.
2: No, I I, I do feel a connection. There's something there which immediately connects to the feelings of the moment if I'm listening back, even 20 years later.
1: Okay, right. Yolanda, what about you and, and your live recordings? Yeah. well, for me, I love live. I love
0: the performing to the audience and for the music to be for that moment. Whatever we went through that day, the rehearsal, the sound check for the audience member who you know might have missed their train or whatever it happened, uh, we created something together. So when you listen back, I really get the same feeling. You know, I I can kind of tap into what I was feeling at the time, but then that means whoever else was listening wouldn't know that backstory. Uh, So I I do find it hard. That red light does get me sometimes. (laughs) I don't really enjoy the recording side of music. I love the live. But as you say, that pressure, the added sort of little bit of pressure uh, when the red light is on, it's not always fun for me
1: (laughs) to say. Well, especially when there's a camera involved as well. Oh yeah, that's the triple whammy. And you see them moving towards you, and you've got a solo coming up, and you that yeah that (laughs) that kind of sort of the heart sort of drops a little bit. Here comes the camera, you know. um, Yeah, I mustn't look pressurized. (laughs) (laughs) Always tap
0: into the live. It's good. And do you think there would be a difference for this particular piece? because of the storyline and um, how it flows if it was in a recording studio where you can stop and start and you know the producer can say oh let's do that section again do you think it would change how how the music comes across
2: I always feel it changes it I, th- I think a studio recording is a studio recording um, yeah and personally I, I'd much rather have it Coughs and splatters and, uh, from the audience participation is always good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the applause
2: at the end, and of the course, applause it really at the end.
0: brings it to... Yeah, brings it to a head. Uh, you're going to be playing this piece very, very soon, actually. Uh, as we record, we're in, in January 2024. Happy New Year. Uh, but you'll be playing uh, February 2024 alongside uh, a premiere as well. Uh, is the preparation different, apart from knowing what key you're going to be given, Anne, uh, is the preparation <laughs> different uh, to doing sort of a premiere of a new piece that you've never seen before? Francis?
2: Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, with with a, with a new piece... The way we work, one has to be very quick. You can do as much work as you like on the piece in your living room, but until you find out all this information, there's quite a lot missing. And very often after the first rehearsal, you finish at half-past nine at night and you're back on at 10.30 in the morning, you think, ooh... There's some bits I could work at, but I haven't got the time.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly that. Yeah. Yes. Gosh, no, it puts it all into perspective, especially now knowing that's coming up on the horizon and it's not in your mind as yet. Uh, and any tips and tricks of how to prepare for number one, a piece that you already know,
1: but you've still got to prepare to something that's brand new? Oh, well, I mean, a piece that we already know, it's just a, a gentle reminder. And also, if if you're travelling on the train, you can listen to it. With a new piece, of course, you can't do that. So you, it, you start from zero. No mm-hmm. comprehension, really, un, unless you've been told a little bit. But not often that you, that happens until sometimes conductors on the morning when we arrive for the rehearsal will tell us what it's about. But as Francis says, you you will start you'll look intently at this, see where the, the difficult corners are. But there are lots of pieces that you will look at it and you'll think, "Oh my goodness, that's so difficult." I'm going to be so exposed and everybody's going to notice when you get to the rehearsal, it's doubled by all the strings or something. So so you're not you're not on your own. And that's that. Yeah, that's really helpful. It's lovely. It's quite reassuring. But yeah, you you need to have a, a sort of real deep look at what you're dealing with in advance. And then, as Francis says, get to the rehearsal. It all gets pieced together and you think, oh, OK, I understand it now. It's quite particularly with brass players. I I, I mean, I would imagine with strings because they're they're playing so much more than we are we will have lots of rest and then suddenly we have to come in and you've no idea whether that tune has been played before somewhere else, you know, so it's always listening to see what's happening in in the first rehearsal. And with that in mind, are you ever able to ask for the full score, all the parts, or do you just think when we get there, we'll figure it out? Yes, there's not always that many scores, though, and there's about 80 of us. <laughs> so if someone wants the yes, score, true. it's going to it's have true. to get shared around. Um, I would imagine it's principal players will do that more than second players like myself. And Francis, do you like to sort of think about the bigger
0: picture when preparing or are you all for turning up to the rehearsal and getting the bigger picture then?
2: Generally, yes, I, I get the picture when we put it all together. But And of course, yeah, one can quickly refer to the score at that point if, if you need to, with the guidance of the conductor, sometimes the composer, again, finding out their visions for the piece and how, how it all works.
1: Actually, the library are really helpful with that. I mean, if they if they know, because they, they will have the music, if they spot something that's, that's going to be particularly difficult for you, they will give you a heads up and maybe say, um, would you like to have a look at this? Or I suggest you have a look at this. Yes,
0: good, the, to give you a bit of a heads up. And how do you keep familiar repertoire fresh? You know, if it's a piece that you've, you've played many, many times and you can see it coming up on the programme, you think, all right, I have a quick look over that, but I know it. How do you keep that excitement within it? Or do, does it come back once the notes start playing?
2: It always comes back, yes. There's always something to play slightly differently, to bring out, to, to stretch, to... I mean, as a tutti string player, there's a limit to the input, but so so often it's very is sort of personal within yourself. And of course, living off performances of the past. This is part of the luxury of having been in the profession for so many years. But level with me, though, honestly, is there a piece of music that you think, oh goodness,
0: I've got this one again? Doesn't feel so fresh. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes. There was one year in particular, I think we did something like 36 performances of a particular symphony and we quite often would still rehearse it before we played it. And that became hard work. How did you keep it fresh or did you, or did you just battle Uh, through? yeah. I mean, I suppose... Like I said earlier, the joy of live music. I mean, every every performance is going to be different. There's nothing more boring than yeah. something that you're doing night after night and it's identical every time. You know, like you were saying earlier about how the days affected you, whether someone was lit and was dashing around, your, your sort of whole mental approach, and, and particularly with, with touring, because sometimes we're pretty tired because we go to a different city, perhaps even a different country every day. Mm. And it, it takes its toll after about 10 days, so... Yeah, I think we live on adrenaline, really. <laughs> um, and if if you're in a concert hall where you see, you know, where you can see the audience properly, you play to them. They're hearing it from you for the first time. You know, they're, they haven't been following you around for the last 35 concerts. They, they they want to hear it. So, yeah, I think when you, it's a form of communication and that's part of our job, isn't it? One of the main parts of our job. So
2: there's also, um, I'm sure you you. Work in the same way in the brass section You're working as a team So there's always little Totally imperceptible Conversations going on With your colleagues The the, the audience They'd be lucky to spot if they were Focusing on Within a performance But there are these Sort of repartee And it keeps one alive And keeps the music alive (laughs) Do you mean verbally or musically? No, 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 no. Just, just the odd glance, glance to the side, yeah. or, or, <laughs> okay. or 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 playing something with a little, slightly different meaning. It does. It's it
0: does stay fresh. Yeah, it, it really does. You always talk about sort of the family, the sections when you're playing tutti. You know, everybody's together in it, and I guess over the time you get to sort of know what other musicians like and get to know their parts. With this piece in particular, with Stravinsky's Firebird, if you could switch with another instrument in this piece, <laughs> what would it be? And I'm going to hold your hands a little bit and say, you cannot say I will keep my own instrument. I know <laughs> that you have your instrument, so we'll take that as a given. <laughs> I can see Anne was already like, well, but if you could swap your, uh, your, your desk for this piece, where would you
1: go, Anne? Can I choose two different things? <laughs> yes, I'll allow you that. I would really love to play the harmonics at the beginning. I would love to do that. Yeah. I always watch them, and, and I had a look at the part, and it was terrifying. <laughs> it looks horrific on paper, <laughs> but I love that effect. I'd love to be able to do that. If it wasn't so terrifying, I would like to play the first horn part. But it's so scary. Why? I mean, that that well, because it that the very last section when we have dawn rising and the horn plays. I mean the horn's got all the Ivan tunes, you know, so there's lots of solos throughout. But this one, when the big tune starts on the horn, even though I'm not a horn player, just before it I can actually feel the tension starting in my <laughs> tummy. Just as, please get the first note. I've I've never known a horn player not get the first note. Oh good. But the the nature of brass instruments are, you know, one day it may <laughs> happen I don't know sorry horns sorry yeah <laughs> but queue <laughs> <but yeah, laughs> I mean, it, it's <laughs> glorious and I'd like to play it but I I wouldn't like to play it if you see what I mean <laughs>
2: Oh, it's very easy for me. I, I would love to play the, the timpani. Yeah. The blows of the timpani underpins the entire oh, tonality yes. and feeling of the finale. That, for me, would, would be... I'm not going to do it. I'm not gonna, I would find it frightening <laughs> as well. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> This is now forever recorded. It might happen. <laughs> oh no it is it is really really lovely and um you know the way that your faces light up when you're speaking about playing these different parts it's really really lovely so thank you for sharing with me today your experiences with the firebird uh and of course before the firebird as well which is an interesting project i can't wait to experience that myself thank you and and francis thank you thank you it was great fun all we've got time for today on LPO Offstage with me Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Anne and Francis for joining me today to explore Stravinsky's Firebird. And if you'd like to send in any questions to be featured in this current series, please email offstage at lpo.org.uk whether you'd like to know tips and tricks for practicing, how conductors prepare their scores or how to manage your diary as a busy musician. That's offstage at lpo.org.uk. Or you can message Message us on social media at London Philharmonic Orchestra. I'll see you next time.